Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13. The title of the lesson is God Loveth a Cheerful Giver, the title in the Come Follow Me manual. The first paragraph in the manual is a good summary. What would you do if you heard that a congregation of saints in another area was struggling in poverty? This was the situation that Paul described to the Corinthian saints in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He hoped to persuade the Corinthian saints to donate some of their abundance to saints in need. But beyond a request for donations, Paul's words also contained profound truths about giving. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That's 2 Corinthians 9.7. In, uh, in a worldwide church like we have today, this is becoming more and more important. I have such a great love for President Hinckley and for the inspiration that he had to start the Perpetual Education Fund kind of made that name to sound like Perpetual Emigration Fund that helped those who needed financial help across the plains in the early days of the church. But the Perpetual Education Fund was to help others in different parts of the church to be able to afford to go to school to get an education. There's a verse in 3 Nephi chapter 6, verse 12, that says the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and their chances for learning. So they didn't separate based on their brain capacity or their brain potential, but their chances or their opportunities for learning. Some have greater opportunities than others. What the Perpetual Education Fund did was helped people and this is near and dear to my heart because I served in the Philippines, in the Philippines and other places to be able to go and go to a school and get a loan from basically fellow members of the church and go to a school and get further education that they might not be able to afford on their own. And then using the perpetual education fund, they could uh, pay back the loan. I used to get a calendar every year from a school in the Philippines called ACE. ACE is an acronym for Academy for Creating Enterprise. And I often, when I share this with my students, I talk about the fact that my standard of living went down when I went to the Philippines. In one apartment, we had cold showers. We had no air conditioning. In one apartment, we had no screens. And th that changed during my mission, but... We had mosquito nets over our beds to keep the mosquitoes away from us at night. <laughs> However, my Filipino companions' standard of living went up when they went on a mission, and some of them went home to worse conditions than they had on their missions. And the Perpetual Education Fund would help them get in a place where they could go get an education, get a better job, even pay tithing and start to help the poor, as all of us have been commanded to do. So I'm just a big fan of the Perpetual Education Fund. And as we begin reading in 2 Corinthians 8, we get to verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. This idea of having a willing mind is also repeated 
in other places in the scriptures. For example, in section 64, in verse 34, it says, Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. Now, some might have a willingness in their heart, but don't have the capability in their wallet. And from there, we get kind of a statement from King Benjamin when he gave his wonderful address and talked about, are we not all beggars? So in Mosiah chapter 4, verse 24, he said, And again, I say unto the poor, ye who have not, and yet have sufficient, that ye remain from day to day, I mean all you who deny the beggar, because ye have not, I would that ye say in your hearts that I give not because I have not, but if I had, I would give. So if that is clearly the intent of your heart, God knows that, even if your wallet can't make it happen. If you're saying in your heart, I give not because I have not, then you're, then you're blameless. Or to quote King Benjamin, if you say this in your heart so you remain guiltless, otherwise you're condemned. I mean, just reading these chapters makes me think, <laughs> I got to up my fast offering donation this month. So there's another place in the Book of Mormon where it also speaks about giving gifts. I'm going to go to Moroni 7. Here it says in verse 6, For behold, God hath said, A man being evil cannot do that which is good, for if he offereth a gift, or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profiteth him nothing. For behold, it is not counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 8 of Moroni 7, For behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doeth it grudgingly. Wherefore it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift. Wherefore he is counted evil before God. Whoa, that's pretty strong, isn't it? In fact, I remember reading, and I include this when I teach uh, Book of Mormon, a story about President Marion G. Romney and the impact this verse had on him. I am old enough to remember that there was a day when we paid our tithing, but we also, every year, every family was given kind of a ward budget assessment. And the bishop would say, can you pay this much for the ward budget. Today that is all comes out of tithing, but there was a time when it didn't. So this story is rather old, but I love it. So here we go from President Marion G. Romney. About a quarter of a century ago, Sister Romney and I moved into a ward in which they were just beginning to build a meeting house. The size of the contribution the bishop thought I ought to contribute rather staggered me. I thought it was at least twice as much as he should have asked. However, I had just been called to a rather high church position, so I couldn't very well say no. Therefore, I said, well, I will pay it, Bishop, but I will have to pay it in installments because I don't have the money. And so I began to pay. And I paid and paid until I was down to about the last three payments when, as is my habit, I was reading in the Book of Mormon and came to the scripture which saith, If a man giveth a gift grudgingly, wherefore it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift, wherefore he is counted evil before God. Back to President Romney. This shocked me because I was out about a thousand dollars. 
Well, I went on and paid the three installments I had promised to pay, and then I paid several more installments to convince the Lord that I had done it with the right attitude. <laughs> That's the power that that verse had to motivate. And that is a kind of obscure reference. This is from Relief Society magazine, which they don't have anymore, in February of 1968. I think I got it from a, a Book of Mormon student manual and put it in my lesson plan because I liked that idea. Giving is great, but giving with the right attitude is harder, but that is what the Lord is asking for. The Lord doesn't just ask, but what does it say? In, back to section 64. Now I have to go find it. Can you hear my pages rustling? See how informal I am on these things? I hope that's okay. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. So, as Paul is asking these other wards to other branches and areas of the church to give, we're reminded of in the book of Acts when that couple held things back and they dropped dead, a rather extreme example. I don't know of a lot of that happening these days. Now, there's a comment made by Elder Alexander B. Morrison in the October 1999 General Conference. He said, Jesus knew it is not the amount we give that matters. In the arithmetic of heaven, value is determined not by quantity, but by quality. It is the intent of the willing heart and mind that is acceptable to God. So that's exactly right. What is going on in your heart and in your mind? And when I reflect on how the Lord has blessed me, it, it helps me to, to go with the right frame of mind as I am asked to help and donate to others. I remember in our ward, somebody called us in, or the bishopric called us in, and said, I am under obligation not to tell you who this was, but somebody in the ward just paid for the rest of your daughter's mission. And I can't tell you who it was. Well, where do you go with your gratitude for that? We had to go up to Heavenly Father and say thanks. But the beautiful thing that happened is we looked at every member of our ward a little differently. <laughs> because we didn't know where that came from. And it changed our perception of everyone in the ward. We were so grateful that somebody would be willing to do that. And we didn't even know who to thank except to thank the Lord that somebody had that kind of a heart to give and released us from that monthly mission payment for our daughter for the remainder of her mission. I believe a really good text for almost all of us kind of go to the place, well, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? An easy answer is fast offerings. A harder answer is, and you see this more and more common these days, panhandlers, people who approach you on the street. And it's a little difficult because I remember coming out of the Salt Lake Temple, a sign put there by the church as you leave the Salt Lake Temple that said the relief agencies would prefer you give to them rather than to the panhandlers. Well, what's going on there? Well, the reason why is they are in a better position to really help the poor. It could be 
job training, helping them get mental health care or care for a drug addiction or whatever. And sometimes our hearts are right, but we don't know how really to help. The best way to help, we don't want to help them stay poor. We want to help them become self-sufficient. When I was a bishop, I read a booklet about 10 times to help me prepare for, for the welfare needs and for my efforts in trying to meet the welfare needs of my ward. And it was called Providing the Lord's Way. And I remember a couple of the principles there. One of them, they're just short, shortly stated principles that would help me guide my decisions. One of them was, we support life, but not lifestyle. So you can see if somebody came and said, yes, I need help making my third car payment, or my car payment for my third car. You can see how you'd go, well, maybe your family may need to get by with two cars. Or I need help with my my boat payment, you know, something like that. You can see how that might be supporting a lifestyle. Or can you pay my, you know, Amazon Prime bills or something like my Netflix? You could see there's some things that every family has to prioritize and budget. So we support life, but not lifestyle. Another principle was commodities before cash. So one of the things a bishop could do was help people with food because the bishop's storehouse, at least here, and I imagine in larger areas of the church, there's a bishop's storehouse where you can write a food order and somebody can go and get food. We want people to be able to have food, and then you can use your cash to pay your bills and to prioritize your bills. But the principle involved was that if you give cash, you kind of don't know where it's going. And this is also part of the bishop's storehouse is the people in the ward. You could find somebody, for example, a ministering brother or sister who has some experience in budgeting, in financial planning. And you could say, we're going to help you get on a budget. And then you're giving someone tools so that they have a way to, to not stay poor. As a bishop, I remember having to tell someone that they simply could not afford to live in this area when I looked at all of their bills and their rent. And so I helped them find a place with a couple of hundred dollars lower rent so that uh, the church wasn't a long-term solution. And that's sometimes another principle. Uh, you, you can help people who go through a rough patch, but people who are need long-term help might need to look at their entire budget and change some things, make some sacrifices. There's, I mean, there's two ways. You either need to earn more or spend less, and sometimes you can work on, on both of those things. So I, I kind of learned as a bishop that helping the poor, really helping them, is a little more complicated than just giving them something, because you might be giving them something to keep them in poverty. So my Relief Society president was awesome. She read this book called Bridges Out of Poverty and really helped us both figure out how do we really help people. And I love what President or I love what Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, a quotation on page 154 in the Come Follow Me manual for individuals and families. Rich or poor, we are to do what we can when others are in need. God will help you and guide you in compassionate acts of discipleship if you are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep a commandment 
he has given us again and again. I believe in that same talk, Elder Holland shares the idea, I don't know exactly how you personally should help the poor, but I know who does know. And that's why we all may need to, to go to God, how can I best help in my circle of influence? So that is some great advice, and we're grateful that Paul included this advice. I think if we are going to Zion society, it needs to be an effort that we make as individuals in, in wards and things. It's probably won't be by government taxing everybody, which they'll do anyway, but it will probably be by individuals and trying to help one another in to to create Zion, to be of one heart and of one mind. And it's I'm grateful that we have opportunities like that. I didn't mention this before, but with that school called ACE, I used to get a, a calendar every year that gave success stories of the Perpetual Education Fund. And it was so exciting to read. These returned missionaries went to the school covered by the fund, and then they talked about the jobs they were able to get and loans they were able to get to start small businesses. And just one of them that I remember off the top of my head an elder came home and started a store to sell cell phones. And this was a dozen years ago, but he got a loan. He knew how to talk to people. He went into a banker, got a loan. And then, guess who he hired? Other return missionaries that he knew. And all of them had their, became more independent and then able to pay tithing, pay fast offerings, and do their obligation of being able to help the poor which every Christian is obligated to do. So it's fascinating to think about, and isn't it interesting that it happened anciently too, as Paul was saying, we've got people in our, our church, you might say, that need our help. And they did help. That's what I like reading, that many did help. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you today. And we will finish 2 Corinthians. Oh, wait, we did finish 2 Corinthians. And at that, the end of 2 Corinthians, I thought I would just emphasize those parts today. And next, we will be talking about the book of Galatians. We'll see you next time. 